Welcome to The Lorraine Murphy Show. If you're anything like me, you want a successful, abundant business, epic energy, a growth mindset, vibrant health, and beautiful relationships. And this podcast sets out to help us achieve all of that together. I've been in the entrepreneurship arena for almost a decade now and have mentored hundreds of other business owners. So I know what goes on behind the scenes and what it takes to succeed. This podcast shares the tips, tricks, learnings, and lessons I lean on in order to blend the different facets of my life as an entrepreneur, author, wife, and mama to two gorgeous little humans. Let's jump in to today's episode. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Lorraine Murphy Show. It is so good to have you joining me this week. This week, myself and my guest are talking about speaking. Speaking is a surefire way to build your business and even better if you're getting paid to speak. My guest this week is a guru and all things speaking. Jamie Abbott is an award-winning media professional and international keynote speaker who has spent two decades in the industry working as a radio and TV journalist, a political media advisor and candidate, managing director of her own public speaking and media training company, and a communications advisor for the Royal Australian Air Force. With over 20 years in the media and speaking world, Jamie teaches business owners and entrepreneurs how to improve their public speaking skills and also has a course called Paid to Speak, which teaches people how to sell from stage and how to become highly paid speakers. In myself and Jamie's conversation, we cover her very diverse background, and I mean very, the war zone crash course she had in public speaking training, waiting till we're ready is the killer to any potential speaker career, the most common blocks she sees people having with speaking, her powerful reframe on imposter syndrome, this is really helpful what she shares here, how to take those very first tiny baby steps towards getting speaking opportunities, how to decide on your speaking fee. And we have a very, very powerful for me conversation about speaking fees and how to charge what you're worth. She has a lot to add on this particular point. And also exactly what you need to have in your speaking kit in order to secure gigs. Really excited to bring you this conversation. Let's bring on myself and Jamie Abbott's interview. Hi, Jamie. Welcome to the Lorraine Murphy Show. Hey, Lorraine. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to have this conversation because I think the topic that you are an expert on is so incredibly valuable for not just anyone who's running a personal brand business, but a kind of more broader businesses as well. And I'm a big believer in growing your personal brand in order to amplify your business and grow your business. So yes, I'm excited to pick your brains today. Thank you for joining us. Anytime. Pick away. You can ask Pick me away. I actually hate that phrase. I haven't used it for so long. I hate it because I just get really visual and I visualize someone picking my brain. I'm like, oh yeah, I try not to use it anymore. So tell us what's your background, my dear, as we kick in, just so everyone can kind of get a feel for you and, and who you're here to serve. Yeah, sure. So I've been 20 years in the media and public speaking world. I started out as a TV and radio journalist and was behind the camera asking questions of people. And I would see people struggle to really get their message across. And then I moved into politics and I've moved into the Air Force. I'm still in the Royal Australian Air Force Reserves as a Are public you? Yeah, to this day. I've been in 17 years almost. Wow. And so I went Afghanistan for six months and over there I became the head media trainer in Kabul, the capital. Wow. And they gave me 
Yeah, it was pretty exciting. I mean, it was full on, you know, yeah, but it was imagine. an exciting and incredible experience to be able to contribute in that way. And so over the six months that I was there, I trained over 100 general officers, so one, two, three, four-star officers from 17 different countries that sort of went through my training while I was there. I then came back and I ran for politics. And I've Sorry, can run- I pause you there? It's just so, whoa. What was your biggest learning from doing that for six months? Because that is such a different, where, where were you living at the time before you moved, you went overseas? So I was, I'm from Newcastle. So you were in Newcastle then. I was listening to, I loved Lennon Doyle's podcast. I was listening to it yesterday. And I guess a common theme of what she was talking about was just the benefits of struggle, I guess, you know, not expecting that life is easy and cruisy all the time and that we actually really find who we are from times of challenge. Did you find that experience over the six months challenging? Yeah, I love how you stopped me and asked this question. Oh, I like you. We can't go past that. (laughs) No, I like that. Because here's something that for me, I sort of not take for granted, but I'm like, oh, yeah, that's just something in my resume. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it was. It was challenging personally, emotionally, physically. You know, it was 10 years ago, well, more than 10 years ago now. It was 2011 that I was there. So for a 20-year war, in Afghanistan at that time from 2001 after September 11 up until when we we kind of pulled out our troops, you know, 2021, 2022. So it was a 20-year war and I was there smack bang in the middle. And I got to see so many incredible things. I got to see women getting access to education programs so they could educate their own children. I got to see women part of the government and you know, a real difference compared to when the Taliban had been in control 10 years prior. And then I guess now the Taliban's back. That's a different story. But I got to see some incredible things. And I went out and I volunteered at orphanages and I got to see things that weren't making the media. And from a media and public speaking perspective, it was a communication war. And we were struggling. When I say we, I mean ISAF, the International Security Assistance Force. We were struggling to get our message across. We had a lack of spokespersons who weren't comfortable or confident to go on camera and face the international media at our weekly press conferences. And so as a result, I mean, the Taliban, they had their own spokesperson and they were doing media interviews and we were sort of holding back. And so over the time that I was there, I trained all of those general officers one-on-one. We had a TV studio there and I would train them in a three-hour session. So I'd do a three-hour session three times a day, non-stop training. And that experience made me, I have to say, an incredible speaking coach because I trained everyone from those who didn't have English as a first language and we had to use a translator because I'm an English-speaking trainer, right through to the most experienced egomaniacs who thought they were amazing but were overcomplicating the message and really had to simplify the message. So, you know, training that many people one-on-one in a high-pressure environment, which was constantly changing, both, you know, on the ground, the, the actual war, as well as the media landscape was changing by the day, it made me become a really great communicator and a great trainer. And so there's no one I can't train as a result of that experience. You could give me any client and I can make them a better speaker. I'm very confident in saying that. That's incredible. What a story. So then you ran for politics when you came back? I did. So pretty much the minute I got back, I flew into Sydney, I decided to run and I've now ran for all three levels of government. So I was a federal candidate 
in the 2013 federal election. I had an 18-month campaign and I was endorsed as a 29-year-old female in a party that isn't known for having a lot of women. That's a very middle-aged, white, male-dominated party traditionally. And so that was an interesting experience for 18 months. But what it allowed me to do was to experience being a spokesperson on stage, on camera, and I realised it wasn't as easy as I had made out by being a <laughs> So you yes. name it, I've made politics and then I, I've also run for state politics and I also ran for local politics on council and I got elected to council in Port Stephens in the area that I live and I was there for four and a half years. But you name it, I've done it. I've fallen over on stage. I've been heckled and not handled it well. I've walked off stage and thought, oh, I didn't master my message or I could have answered this question better. And because I've gone through those experiences, I've been behind the camera, I've presented the news as an auto cue, I've been in Afghanistan and trained people and then fast forward to a political career and I've been involved in politics. I'm out of it now, but I'm 40 now and I've just stepped out really. So 11 years of my life as a politician, in mm-hmm. whether elected or as a candidate, uh, I've certainly had a very well-rounded media training and public speaking <laughs> career. And so I set my company up to do public speaking training 10 years ago in the middle of all of this. So pretty much after the federal election, I set it up in 2013. And it's now morphed into training entrepreneurs how to become highly paid speakers because there are so many opportunities out there for paid speaking geeks. Amazing. Amazing. So, yeah, I think we can tell that you're qualified. <laughs> To talk about what you talk about. (laughs) When we were preparing for this interview this morning before we started recording, I said to you, I really want to ask you this question. And I know it might sound like the dumbest question in the world, but I want to ask you, what is speaking? Because I think it can be a very all-encompassing term. And I think you've got, and I may be wrong, you have got quite a specific niche that you, there's a specific type of of speaking that you train people for within your business. And I know also you've got your membership program and you've got your paid program as well. Can you define what is speaking in your opinion? Yeah, you asked some great questions because I think traditionally we think of speaking as on stage, keynote mm-hmm. speaker. Yes. And then COVID certainly changed that. Yes. Opening up access to worldwide events on Zoom and Skype and FaceTime and all those sorts of things, Microsoft Teams. And so there's the keynote speech is not really what it once was mm-hmm. known as now. It yep. can be online. But I actually work with a lot of people who might be quite confident on stage, but you put them in a room, maybe a CEO who has to deliver information to a board or you've got a CEO having to deliver information from the board to staff and they go weak at the knees. So that's actually something that I train people in speaking as well. And then there's another dimension to speaking, and that is showing up online, going live on Instagram, going live on all the different social media platforms, doing Instagram stories and documenting what we are doing in the moment. I mean, funny story, this time last year, I had never done an Instagram live (laughs) myself. And I've spoken on stages around the world. Mm. I've spoken in very high pressure situations but put me in front of the phone to do an Instagram live and I was avoiding that. I was so nervous. And so now I love it, but it's just, you know, fear of the unknown. And what makes me comfortable may make you uncomfortable, mm. Lorraine, and, and vice versa. Yeah, it's almost Everyone's- like we each got our own, like, unique suite of what our comfort zones are when it comes to speaking. Yeah, that makes sense. It's true. It's, you know, I feel more comfortable <laughs> in a crowd of 500 plus, but then I'm less comfortable in a room where I'm speaking to just five people. It's yes. really yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
because it's more intimate, isn't it? And it's that whole thing of it's easier to present or speak to hundreds and hundreds of people who maybe are in a different field to you, but to present to even five of your peers is so much more confronting. See, so, yeah, I think there's different levels to it, isn't there? Oh, the other dimension is also speaking in masterclasses. Mm. That's another whole dimension. So I've started a new membership called PR Club. And yesterday I had a masterclass that I ran on LinkedIn. It was just, that was the subject. And I was so nervous before I hit, you know, let everyone in. There was about yeah. 30 people on the call. <laughs> and the, the, the pressure of that, and I'm, I'm one of the most experienced speakers I know, and just going live and doing a masterclass with yeah. multiple things to worry about logistics-wise, that's also speaking. And that's yeah. something which people often struggle with and need help with. So yeah. it's a different type of war zone, Zoom and the tech issues that it can happen. <laughs> There. So yeah, thank you for defining that because I think it, it is a very, very broad area. And I know the way that I would need to, as a speaker, show up on a stage to hundreds of people is very different to how I need to show up on my Instagram story. So I think there's almost a demand. I think you're right. COVID has kind of expedited that. There's a demand for us as speakers to almost to be almost like chameleons, like to be able to moderate our speaking style in a way that's appropriate for the particular channel that we're showing up at that particular time, which is a really big ask for people <laughs> to do, particularly if they're not confident public speakers in, in the first place. Do you think anyone can be a speaker? I do. Absolutely anyone can. And I've seen the transformation from people who were nervous to even talk to me on a discovery call one-on-one to then go and wow audiences online, on stage, getting paid ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 now for keynotes, Anyone can do it, anyone. (laughs) And people always say to me, one of the one sort of objections that I get from people who want to get paid to speak is they'll say, I'm not ready. I'm not ready yet. You know, for whatever reason, I need to get my website ready or I need to practice my public speaking skills. I need to calm my nerves or rehearse my keynote speech. I'll tell you now, you're never ready. (laughs) If you wait until you are ready, you will never start. And so I think it's really important. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, you're dead oh, right. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. And I think also, if I was to be very kind of gendered about it, I think women especially are guilty of that. No, I'm not ready yet. Whereas it's like the confidence gap. I don't know if you've ever seen that research from the US years ago. And they said that a man will go for a more senior role if he can do, I think it was if he can do like 60% of it, he will go for that role. Whereas a woman will only go for the more senior role if she's already doing 100% of what she would be expected to do in that new role. And that's that gap that the guy will put himself forward even if he's not ready, whereas the woman will hold herself back because, yeah, she feels like there's still a percentage of, of the way that she needs to go. What do you see as the biggest blocks that people have when you say, you know, if you think about your most chronic cases of whether it was nerves or whatever the blocks were for those people who were nervous on a discovery call with you? I love that. What are the most common blocks that you see those people having? Like the people who are really kind of, you're going, okay, these, this is going to be a tough nut to crack. But what are the blocks that they have in common? So like I would say to start the answer of that question is the overarching reason is they're making it about themselves and they're not making it about the people they mm. need to serve. And that applies for so many things, whether you are showing up online and you're talking all about yourself and not thinking, well, hold on a minute, why would they care and why should you share? Love <laughs> I just that. Want to make it up for me. Love yeah. that. So yeah. powerful. And so 
it's a matter of just making it, thinking about things from your audience's perspective. And people often, it's great to tell a story about yourself and it's great. If I did an Instagram story right now and said, I've just done a, a podcast with Lorraine, we talked about this, that's all very well. But at the end of the day, I've got to really tell that story with my audience in mind and think, well, what's in it for them? What are they going to see about my story for themselves? And think, I could do that too. Well, that's inspired me. I saw Yana Pittman speak the other day. She's a, an Olympian in Australia. She um, went to the Olympics for hurdles and bobsledding. She's incredible. She's got six kids. She's a doctor. She's doing obstetrics. She's amazing. And she was a speaker at an International Women's Day event that I went to. And she got up on stage and talked all about herself and her story, but at the same time it came back to everyone else and the and the takeaway was, well, I can do anything. She's failed and keeps getting back up and achieving and achieving. I'm not going to let anything set me back. So at the same time it's all making it about the audience. And so it's actually in the reverse but the same thing when people aren't showing up and they're so nervous or they're thinking the worst, like what's the worst that's going to happen, they're making that about themselves. So instead of sharing their knowledge and their value they've got to offer with the world and focusing on the end customer listening, they're making it about their own hang-ups and their, their nerves. And it's really a disservice for the world and for your purpose for being here in, in life to think that way and to hold back in sharing your knowledge and then helping someone. And I think that's the greatest tragedy that I see. And I mean, my PR club, I've got some incredible men and women who have got so much to offer and so much to be able to help people and they're not showing up online and putting their message out there. And so I think we need to just get over our own insecurities and just start showing up a lot more. Yeah, I love that. And what you said that it's almost this shift from, I remember doing it personally, it was actually more of a personal development workshop when I was just about to start my first business. So we're talking like 12 years ago. And the trainers, it was two guys who were doing the training for the three days they drew this diagram up on the, the whiteboard of, you know, one person speaking to everyone else, almost like that message going out to everyone else that is into the audience. And then the reverse of that was the audience interacting with the speaker, almost like the energy coming towards the speaker and then the speaker responding to the audience. And I think what you're talking about there is that shift from it being a broadcast message, like I'm here to get up and talk about what I need to talk about and have my lines and make sure I tick my boxes. And it's moving from that to being more, okay, what does the audience need? Like, how can I serve the audience? The thought that I had when you said, remind me of the catchphrase again? Why would they care and why should I share? Yeah, yeah. It's a I service mentality. That. that was that idea that I had. It's like, it's you stepping into a position of serving your audience rather than being you know, completely obsessed about, do I look nervous? Are my hands shaking? Am I remembering everything I need to say? Am I speaking into the microphone? Can people at the back hear me? <laughs> it's it's yeah. truly moving into that service energy. And I think when you were talking about that incredible woman, my God, what a rock star. That's the energy that she showed up with. Even though she was speaking about her story, it was about serving the audience. So that service mentality, I think is really powerful. So what you were touching on there around that you know, incredibly talented people who are essentially holding themselves back from showing up online. Really, if we would want to name it, it's imposter syndrome, yeah, where they kind of get in their heads that, well, for some reason, they're not qualified or experienced enough or confident enough to step up and be the people that they could be. How do you coach people through imposter syndrome? Because I see it showing up a lot in my audience and my mentees and Bull Darling group as well. 
Yeah, look, it's very real. And mm. I have for the first time in my life, it's so strange because I've entered an online digital entrepreneur space really in the last 12 months. It's pretty new to me. Mm. And up until moving in the online world, I've been a larger gal. I've always been like a size 18 to 20. So not, you know, size six model. And I've been on TV all the time since I've been 21. I was a newsreader and then went into politics and always doing interviews and I could take it. I could take the criticism. I could handle it. I don't know why. But then I went online and started doing some fun reels and I put the politics aside. I never want to get into politics again. That's the decision I've made. And it's been so refreshing because I can now show up, make a bit of a fool of myself, be me. I can, you know, not worry what people think. But interestingly, I've never copped more criticism in my entire life than when I became an online entrepreneur. Like, and what, uh, in, what are people criticizing you for? Well, it's kind of like backhanded criticism. So I'll do reels. I firmly believe in putting filters on if you're doing a reel. I don't do it all the time, but sometimes I'll put a filter on and I certainly encourage my clients, I'll say to them, put a filter on because, and it's a controversial piece of advice, yeah. because if they don't put the filter on, they're not going to show up. Their hair's not done, their makeup's not right, they don't look great and they're like, no, nah, I don't look very good. Put the filter on because then your message is getting out there, whatever it takes for you to show up. And so sometimes I'll put a filter on and I'll have people say, oh, why are you using the filters? You know, you look fine as it is. I think you're just, you're just doing it too overdone. Um, things like that. And then someone said to me the other day and they messaged me, oh, where do you get your Botox from? <laughs> I don't have Botox, but I could for all they know. But well, I that's don't. flattering. Um, <laughs> yeah and then you know oh you know where did you get all these crazy comments about my appearance good bad but it's always a focus and I think wow I never got this in politics until I started doing Instagram reels or you know stories and stuff like that and so as a result luckily I've got pretty thick skin but it's been a bit of a challenge and having that experience I can understand why people have imposter syndrome if people are seeing comments like that and sometimes they'll do it publicly these people they'll make a comment sometimes they will say that to me and then other women in particular or other men will see that and think whoa look at the comments Jamie's getting I'm not going to put myself out there and it's kind of this you know terrible cycle and so I think it's a mindset thing. I know this is your area of expertise, Lorraine. It's really a mindset thing. At the end of the day, you're not always going to be everyone's cup of tea. But if someone told me this recently, you're going to love this. You're not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but you sure as hell are someone's shot of vodka. <laughs> I love that line. Feeling that. Love- How good is that? <laughs> I should just pass it on as my own. No, a girlfriend of mine said that to me and I thought, yeah, that's so true. And so it is all in the mindset. You've got to know, and it's the same when you go and you speak on stage, not everyone in the room is going to like you, but you have got, you're there for a purpose and that is to educate, to motivate to inspire people. And it's the same if you show up online, you do a reel, you're playing into people's, you know, their emotions, their needs, what you might have, what they need. And you've got something to say that's going to help their life, help their business, help their finances, whatever it is you do. And I think you just need to focus on that, not focus on, oh, what if the 1% of people don't like me? Well, they won't and accept that and they can unfollow you. You know, and, or if they want to keep people that people that always criticize don't unfollow. They just love to keep stalking you. Yeah, it's funny. It's like hate stalking or something. It's bizarre. Hate following. Yeah. <laughs> so in a nutshell, to overcome imposter syndrome, you say? 
I say focus on the value and the people that you need, the value you need to provide and the people you need to help and block out because you have to accept that there are going to be people who don't resonate with your message. They don't find you relevant. They don't like the way you look or sound. And they're always going to be those people out there and accept that. And I think the sooner you accept that, the more freeing it is to be able to show up and just instead focus on those people who do love you and are yet to fall in love with you and they will. I love that. So good. Thank you so much. So if you are someone who's sitting there, maybe you've got a personal brand business or maybe you don't, you've got more professional services, whatever it might be, and you really want to start, I guess, cracking speaking and building your brand that way, and you're starting from a complete standing start, as in you've done zero speaking before, what are the first kind of three to five steps that you advocate for people to to take as they get started on that journey? Yeah, great question. So, I mean, I, even though I have a course called Paid to Speak, I think it's very much worth your while if you're just starting out to volunteer to speak for free if you know your ideal customers are going to be in the audience. And if you're speaking for free, you should usually have the opportunity to be able to pitch yourself or at the very least be able to film yourself speaking in front of a live audience. It's going to give you the experience, going to give you content that you can film and then put together as part of your show reel, which is then social proof, which you can then use to pitch to get other gigs. So little story, I was charging a couple of hundred dollars, maybe a couple of thousand here and there, only 18 months ago. And one day a corporate client came in and they said, we want you to speak for a full day in Sydney for a full day for about 50 staff we want you to do public speaking training I couldn't fit it into my schedule it was coming up to Christmas I had no time to do it and so I quoted the client $30,000 Australian 30,000 knowing full well they would say no and that's way higher than I normally would quote they accepted the quote and it took them 45 minutes to hit accept And so that is such a cool story. Good on you. Yeah, thank you. But it was such a landmark moment because I realized I'd been undercharging all these years and B, I'd been telling everyone else to undercharge. Like all my clients saying, oh, you know, maybe charge two to 5,000 for that. And so that's when I kind of created the pay to speak course. The next five months, I put together a course showing everyone else how much to charge, how to find these gigs. But with that particular speaking gig, I got off the stage and the client said to me, do you know anybody else that could speak for our upcoming conference? Our budget's ten to 15000 And all I need to do is just be someone inspiring. They don't have to be any sort of particular expert. And that was literally the brief, just some sort of inspiring speaker. And so it kind of made me realise there is a whole world out there of speaking opportunities which people do not know about. And so just start, start speaking for free, start getting yourself on podcasts, start getting yourself in third-party media, And then just keep putting out videos that actually show you speaking. So a talking head reel, you can use ChatGPT to get some ideas for topics and then just hold the phone up and speak and start putting that content out there. So you're building up your name ID. People are getting to know that no like and trust factor with you. They're seeing you speak. Put the word speaker in your bio as well. So put it into your Instagram bio. I always say that to people. It's like set up your market stall now as if you are a speaker, just so people start to identify that with your name. Love that. Yeah, because I would have thought of you in that way. And just that simple little change, or even on your Instagram profile and your LinkedIn profile alone, can really start opening up the world of speaking 
to you. And then also have on your website speaker. So I've got like jamieabbott.com forward slash speaker or jamieabbott.com.au forward slash speaker. And there's a whole speaker page on my website and you can download my speaker bio. So just a one or you can have up to a four page speaker bio, which has your bio, your topics, maybe some testimonials and you know, your audio requirements and maybe some clients you've worked with in the past. And that's giving some social proof. So that's a whole heap of things you need to do, but they're very much low hanging fruit as well. And look, you know, if you want to try and find some speaking gigs, you can just do a hashtag search on the words call for speakers or speakers wanted and start looking at some of the opportunities that are out there. And if they're free, you then get that exposure in return of you being a speaker, particularly if it's an overseas virtual gig, that's just really building into your repertoire and you can add that to your social proof documents. That is such a good tip, the hashtag search. I never thought of that. That's genius. So actually, I sneaked in an extra question towards the end, but I'm actually going to ask you now because you've taken us quite organically there. What is the, I guess, the kit? I feel like you've already shared this, but I just want to check to something else that you would add. Almost like the essential kit. If you're setting your, setting up shop as a speaker and it's something you want to do, what kind of assets, what do you need? Like if someone, because I think this is our worst nightmare, isn't it? If we say, hey, we're a speaker. And then someone says, hey, can you send over your XYZ? And you have no idea what they're talking about. Like what would be expected if you're putting yourself forward, particularly for a paid speaking gig? What would be the kind of basic level that people would expect you to send over to seal the deal? Yeah, great question. So at the very least, what we call a one sheet, which is just a one sheet PDF. And I have a template that I give people in my course. And it's literally just, you know, five or six dot points about who you are. Maybe you're a mama of two boys, like in my situation, then has some social proof. So clients you've worked with or maybe media you've appeared in. Then it has your contact details. And then it has a photo of you. And then it has a big, long, like three to four paragraph bio. That's the minimum. But then when people go through my course, I also give them two other templates. One's a four-page and one's a six-page speaker bio. The four-page one is really once you start getting out there and getting some paid gigs, you want to have that four-page bio because there's a bit more information. And I actually have that four-page bio now available to download on my website. So if someone is inquiring about you as a speaker, it just gives them a bit more information about all the different types of topics that you can talk about plus some testimonials, your audiovisual requirements, your main keynote talk as well. So what's your signature keynote talk? And I'll have information on that. I'm in there, plus lots of photos of you with a microphone. So you want to start getting some photos of you on stage or mock them up, holding the microphone, just to really visualise yourself as a speaker for the client and then make that available. Put your speaker kit on your LinkedIn profile. You can actually attach it on your profile as part of the different, there's about five different carousel elements you can put onto your LinkedIn. So I have mine there and put it onto your website. But if you need to go right now, one page PDF, one sheet would be fine. That's what I use to pitch to podcast guests as well. Um, so Perfect. that will really help you. That's really helpful. Thank you. And then how important is a reel? So, and Obviously, we now talk about Instagram Reels, but before there was Instagram Reels, we talked about Reels. So your speakers Reel, which is essentially like a collage of highlights of you speaking. How important is that to get a job across the line, do you think? Because obviously the tricky thing is if you don't have the experience, then it's hard to actually have the Reel <laughs> in the first place. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's why people, they hold back. And, mm. and particularly with speaker bureaus, and speaker bureaus are yes. kind of like an agency, a menu that people can go to and they can take their pick of motivational speakers, sports speakers, all different types of speakers. And those speaker bureaus, they want to see a showreel of you. Mm. But it's chicken and the egg, right? So 
even the other day I did a gig, I spoke for free because I was pitching my course to my ideal customers in the audience. I walked off the stage with $9,000 in course sales. So that was worth more to me to do that for free than it was Amazing. to charge me. To, it was a local event too, so yeah, running down the road. Good. And I got a videographer to come and to film me. And so, you know, it just happens. So once you start getting some of these free gigs, I said, well, I'm going to have a videographer. He's now putting together a showreel. I'm I'm always updating my showreel with me speaking so people can actually see me in action, use what we call natural sounds. So you might have a bit of a voiceover, then it will cut to you speaking on stage and they can actually hear you speak. They might be able to do a pan to the audience to see the reaction. You can't beat that. And that's something you can't mock up. You can't go and say, let's pretend can't be the live audience. And so that's why I would encourage people to do those free gigs in exchange for getting footage the content of essentially. Speaking. Yeah, people yeah. want to see you speaking in front of a real audience and you can't be that. Yeah, yeah, love that. So we've talked a little bit about starting for free and then obviously getting the recordings and starting to build up, I guess, your repertoire as a speaker. At what point do you think people transition through to paid speaking? So when can we go, okay, I'm ready to start charging? Yeah, I mean, it's often sooner than people realise, and Mm. I've learned that the hard way. I think, oh, all that time I gave away my knowledge for free. So to me, it's either if I speak for free, I want to be able to pitch or I want to be able to film. Or at the very least, I know my ideal customer is in the audience. So, for example, I love to work with mining companies, industrial clients in public speaking training. I will speak for free at a mining conference where I know that I'm going to get ongoing work out of it. So definitely I still do a lot of that. But it's when you are being used as a speaker to make money for the organiser, that's when you want to get paid. And quite often women are guilty of this. They give away their knowledge for free. And we have sacrificed so much to get that knowledge If you're a parent, it's just an extra barrier. You know, I've become a parent in the last couple of years and I just now have a different appreciation to how hard it is to be a parent in general, let alone to be a working parent or even any parent. It's hard. It's hard work. Mm. It's like your perception of time changes, doesn't it, once you become a parent? It does. Yeah, Yeah, it really does. Time moves faster. You know what my friend Jules and I were talking about as well a few years ago? So Jules, I think you'd probably know Julie Masters. She's quite... Yes. Very hands-on in your space of speaking industry. And Jules was saying, you know what I've realized is that back before we had children, if like a project wasn't going to get us towards our end game or, you know, a team member wasn't working out, you kind of go, it's okay. Cause you kind of had all the time in the world to deal with the fallout of this thing not going well. Whereas I think when you have children, there's so much more of a premium on your time that you just, you don't have time to fuck around. Like you just, it, you don't have time to go down a rabbit hole in your business for six months because no, like this, that time is so precious. You need to feel like it's being as potent and powerful as it possibly can. So I love what you said. I've never heard anyone articulate it like that, Jamie, that whole idea of there's so much sacrifice in getting the amount of knowledge that you have. Why hand that over for free? I feel like that's going to be a real penny drop moment for a lot of listeners. Thank you. And not even just the parents, but people who have put in the hard jars, whether it's through free internships or working seven days a week, you know, there's been so much traded in return for that experience and 100% there should be a price tag on it. I love how you've you've shared that. Thank you. 
Oh, yeah, you're welcome. You're right. It's not just a parent thing because, I mean, I think, you know, I may just become a parent and I'm 40 now, but a four-year-old's my oldest and a two-year-old. And I think, yeah, all those years that I worked for free, I did work experience, I made mistakes, I spent money, I invested in really expensive masterminds and courses and I've got three degrees, spent a lot of money. And why should I give away that knowledge for free? Like, why should I? And then also to have someone make money off me being one of the speakers I'm going to charge for that. And quite often it's a matter of backing yourself and charging a little bit more than you would normally charge and maybe a little bit more than you feel comfortable to charge. And that's what I'm telling my clients to do once you go through my pay to speak course and it's paying off. Sure, you might not get every gig, but overall you're going to make a lot more money with that strategy. Yeah, love that. And it's putting a value on yourself, you know. And I think the thing is I had a mentee for many years, a few years ago, and she was a speaker and she would do these gigs at organizations, but they were like out of hours. So they, were, they always had to be in the evening because the nature of the organization. And she got paid pennies, Jamie, like pennies. And she still kept showing up and doing them. And the level of resentment that she started to build towards those jobs was huge, understandably. She had a young family as well. And so, yeah, I think we need to charge handsomely. I like the word to you know, charge handsomely. Because it's really an energy exchange, because if we feel like we're being paid, the return to us is handsome, we will then show up with that level of energy and prioritize it, obviously, as well. And I could have talked to you all day about this. One last question. How do you know how much to charge? Like, obviously, you just had a bit of a, you know, let's just see what happens. And you added a zero, probably more to your speaking fee for that 30K job. How does someone know how to charge, particularly if they don't have friends or contacts in the industry that they can almost like benchmark themselves against? Yeah, I mean, it's the million-dollar question. I get asked this question all the time, and there's so many things you've got to take into account, including travel time, expenses. And it's we all know, for those of us who've spoken at any event, it's not just the time at the event. It's almost either side, the days either side. So you need to take that into account as well. I've recently created a little spreadsheet, which I'm putting into my latest course that I'm about to launch. And you basically punch in everything that it's going to cost you. And that's everything from depreciation on your laptop to the time taken to prepare. And then you add 60% profit. And that's kind of a little, because people want a formula. I've got a lot of people say, I want to know an exact formula. So, so I've created true. This formula. that's a great idea. Really smart. Yeah. But you know, look, it's not a one size fits all. Some people have a not a charity rate, not a profit or a charity rate, as well as a corporate rate. Some people have an online rate and then an in-person rate. I personally have the same rate online or in person, but it is not a one size fits all. But for me personally now, I don't do any corporate gigs for less than 10,000. It was a decision that I made. But, you know, someone starting out might say, well, I'm not going to do anything for less than 2000 because I'm just starting out. You need to make that personal choice for yourself, but you need to think what's the ongoing. And it's a bit of a trap because quite often people will say, I'll do it for free because of the exposure. And I did that for too many years. Thought, oh, well, it's great name ID. It's great publicity for my business. But there's only a certain amount of time you can sort of keep doing that for. I think you need at one point you need to think, no. For me, I'm not going to drive. I live in Newcastle, two hours north of Sydney. I'm not going to drive down and back and take a whole day out of my business in Sydney for $1,000. The old me would. So I think, oh, yeah, I get to drive to Sydney and back. It more than covers my petrol and the exposure. But no, I won't do it for anything less than 10000 But you need to make a decision for yourself. Okay, what's my minimum? What am I going to get out of it? And then you kind of have to start upping your rate. The more social proof you've got, 
And really it's a perception thing too because sometimes, you know, I, even my coaching, I was charging, I think it was two ninety nine an hour this time last year, had no clients at that rate. I'm now eight ninety nine an hour for my coaching and I'm booked out. <laughs> So it's it's kind funny. Of I say this a lot to my mentees as well. That price is as much as much about the commercial gain of whatever your pricing is, as it is about positioning. Your price communicates something very clearly about about your brand. Can I just build on something you shared a second ago, Jamie? Is that holiday you get to the point where you have to stop doing things just for exposure and start to get paid. I just wanted, and this is a watch out and it's a mistake that I have made in kind of my speaking career is being tempted by the, oh, if you come and do this one thing for free at this, and I'm talking corporate speaking, corporate saying, if you come in and do this one session for our teams, it's really good exposure for you across the business. And I know that there'll be more work coming your way. So I've fallen into that trap a few times. So doing the free thing with the view to you know me saying this is an investment in a longer term relationship with them. They have communicated that, but it hasn't happened. I remember once I was back in Ireland, it was pre-kids, but I was back in Ireland with my family and this conversation came through with one of the one of the big banks in Australia. And they said, can you come and do this event for us in a couple of weeks time? Because we want this to be an ongoing relationship with you. I said, yes, I came home 48 hours earlier. I was so jet lagged doing the speaking thing and it never eventuated. There was a change of team and what they had kind of hinted at would be down the track never happened. So I just want to share that as a bit of a red flag for people as well, because I think it's a way that especially big corporates can, speaking very frankly, you know, they can take the piss by saying, oh, well, this person's going to jump because we say we're this brand and they'll want an ongoing relationship. So I just wanted to pass that one on as well. Lesson lesson from the front lines myself. Yeah, absolutely. That's really great advice. I totally see where you're coming from with that for sure. Now, I could honestly talk to you all day, but we should probably wrap up <laughs> this conversation. Is there anything else that you feel like any kind of glaring gaps? I feel like we've covered a lot of ground pretty quickly. Is there anything else you would like to share that you feel like we just want to pass on to listeners? Just one thing is don't underestimate the power of what's inside your head and to be able to monetize that. So often people think, oh, I'm a leadership coach or I'm a business coach. There's so many people in this space or I do mental health and well-being. Yeah, there are a lot of people in that space. There's also a lot of work and, you know, people are buying into you and your story and people are genuinely interested in what you have to say. So don't deny people that knowledge and that wisdom that you've got to share. And so I think too often there's just too much, too many secrets out there that people really haven't uncovered yet and that's where people come into it. And I just think if you're listening to this right now, think what what story have I got to share? And it could be anything. You could have overcome adversity. You could just have achieved something amazing. Very often people overlook the sheer fact of I've built a business. I've built a business from scratch and here's how I've done it. People are genuinely interested in that. And so don't hold back. Don't. I mean, a friend of mine, he's a physio and he's about to have a million-dollar clinic this year. And for some up-and-coming young physio starting out their clinic, they want to know how he did it. And That's so the don't dream. underestimate. Yeah. Don't underestimate the power of sharing. You know, don't wait till you get to 40 like he is to be able to achieve it. Let's shortcut that. Share your secrets so other people can do that too. And I think we really need to just put that information out into the world more often. Yeah, it's that whole thing of we we don't know what we know. Yeah, That's really absolutely. Powerful. Thank you yeah. so much, Jamie. I'll obviously pop all your contact deets in the show notes as well so people can follow you and your amazing work. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining the show today. Thanks so much for the opportunity. There you have her, the brilliant Jamie Abbott. 
If you want to find out more about Jamie and her work, go to Jamie Abbott, that's J-A-I-M-I-E, Abbott.com, or connect with her on Instagram at Jamie Abbott. And as always, thank you so much for joining this week's episode, and I'll look forward to talking to you again next week. Please do remember to subscribe to the podcast so you don't ever have to miss an episode. I am always keen to hear your thoughts, questions, and requests for future topics on what I share here on the show. So please do reach out via my website, lorrainemurphy.com.au or connect with me on Instagram at Lorraine Murphy Mentor. I would also love if you could rate and review the podcast as it helps even more brilliant listeners like you find the show. Thank you so much again for listening this week. Bye.